Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell them you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. We're doing part two of this conversation with my friend Ben Gay III. He is an author, sales coach, and today I really wanted to, in, in part two of the conversation, and again, you've heard part one, he tells his incredible story, but, but today I want to go a little deeper and I want to get to salespeople and entrepreneurs and share some intentional encouragement with you. Leaders, if you're out there listening today, I really want to tailor this conversation specifically in that direction um, because it's tough being in business today. And so I, it, it is so good to welcome my friend back, Ben Gay III, to the to part two of this conversation with him on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Ben, how are you today? I'm fine, Brian. It's fun to be back. I appreciate it. It's an honor and uh, looking forward to it. Let's go. We were talking in part one, and, and folks, you heard in part one, I asked Ben how his business changed in, in covid and so let's go here for just a second. I think everyone's business changed during COVID-19. If you were a salesperson and you were used to being B2B or you know C2C, in other words, you were physically going and calling on customers, seeing them face-to-face, -face, you had to figure out different ways. Our mutual friend, Randy Chafee, talked to me about that. We were talking about how he did things differently. Ben, how important is it to take stock from time to time and see if what we're doing can't be done differently? I want you to, to, to go there for as, as we start this conversation today. Very important. And you don't need a disaster like COVID-19 or whatever they're calling it this week to do it. It's something you should be doing on a regular basis. Uh, always check. Earl Nightingale was big on that. He said, "Ben, check your references. Always check your, you know, the the, the North Star you're steering by. Check it. And make sure it's still uh, what you thought it was, and it fits your situation, and so on." So for me, it really wasn't a, a real comeuppance because uh, I was I checked 
almost minute by minute uh, and certainly week by week all the time and have for over 50 years. So uh, it was, I talked about it more because my clients needed to hear it more. Uh, my coaching clients and consulting clients and so on. But I was fine. Uh, you know, whoops, new situation. How do we change this? And, you know, in-person seminars, I, I was doing 24 a year down from 300 a year when mm -hmm. I married Gigi. We, we had to have a little negotiation. She wasn't going to be married to an empty bed, she said. <laughs> so, I can so. empathize as I record this conversation in a hotel room in, in New York. So Exactly, exactly. So we cut those down to 24 a year, and then COVID cut them down to almost nothing. I think I, during that period of time, I did six or seven, all with clients who had corporate jets they could send for me. And uh, we have a little airport nearby that'll take uh, a Gulf Stream. So uh, it sort of continued on, but mainly what it was was adjusting to the shift rather than whining about 23 or 22 or 23 seminars going away. Uh, it gave me more time for my coaching clients. I have a limit on how many I take on at any given time so they all get equal and, and uh, proper uh, exposure and information mm -hmm. so i raised it from 12 to 36 because i had extra time on my hands and i could have probably raised it higher but it takes a while to get somebody up to speed and figure out who they are and so on so as i added 24 onto the uh, system it took a little while to onboard them and now i'm, I'm never going to go back i don't think to 24 a year mm -hmm. i may go to 12 a year and jack up the coaching clients a little bit and my script writing picked up uh, i guess people had time on their hands to start evaluating their own tools and many of them found them wanting so i would encourage anyone listening to us to make it not just a covid uh, thing or a disaster thing do it all the time check yeah. your references yeah. See if this is still the right path. And if it's not, make minor minor mid-course corrections. When I was attitude coach for the astronauts, and I wish I'd learned the figure, but the Saturn V-B booster that lifted the Apollo shots up, and I worked on 15, 16, and 17, was millions of pounds of thrust to get it off the ground. 11 seconds, as best I recall, to clear the tower. I mean, what, it, that's the nerve wracking part when you wonder if it's gonna fall over. Yeah. But once it gets up in space at 12,500 miles an hour, you could open the hatch, brace your arms, stick out a can of hairspray and adjust the trajectory of the entire Apollo capsule. So it's getting off the ground that's the difficult part, getting through the thing. Once you're up and running, uh, mid-course corrections are very easy. And if you're running a good system, you don't need radical ones. I didn't yeah. need radical shifts. Uh, I just started saying, yeah, uh, tell me about yourself when a coaching client yeah. would call. Well, you know that something you said there reminded me of something. I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but when I was first in food service sales back in the in the mid 90s i met a guy i worked with a guy he was our top salesman 
and he he sold like six million dollars worth of groceries every year. And his philosophy was, I want every customer in my territory. I eat the smallest to the largest. Everybody needs to be buying from me. When I was young, I thought, when I was 23, 24 years old, I thought, boy, that's, that's something. At, at almost 50, I realized I would like to, to have, you know, I, I don't need to sell to everybody. I don't need everybody to listen to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Somebody asked me, they said, you know, Brian, how many downloads do you, do you, do you get? I don't know. To me, it's, yeah. it's more important to work with that, that, that one-on-one, somebody that, that finds this podcast and listens to this conversation. And, and Ben, I love what you said there, you know, because again, I think a lot of people think, okay, I've got to have all the business or I've got to have the, the lion's share of the market share. I've got to have this or I've got to have that. And, and they're so focused on always trying to, to get more, get more, bring more. Um, we're never satisfied with what we have. And again, I'm not saying to salespeople, be satisfied, you know, and don't go after more business. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is how, you know, when is enough enough? What happens to salespeople a lot of times? What happens to entrepreneurs that are never satisfied? What happens to them internally? And, and how do you coach those, those folks to learn what real success looks like for them and their business. Because I, you know, I would think that, I would think that, you know, in, in those situations, entrepreneurs, you know, when, when you say what, what is enough, you know, Ben, I, I would say, okay, what, what's enough? You know, and, and as a young salesperson, I'm like, I, I want to sell $4 million. I want to sell $5 million. I want to sell $6 million. You know, and, I, and as a young salesperson in that company, I won salesperson of the year. Everything came together for me correctly. And I wish I could go back and tell that guy, like, hey, look, continue to serve people well and you'll continue to grow. But how do you coach entrepreneurs and salespeople to know what real success for them looks like, because you you could look at their balance sheet and you could say, well, you, you did twenty percent more. Forgive me for the long winded question, but you could say, okay, you know, I want to I want to do twenty percent more. I want to do thirty percent more. When realistically, what they really need, Ben, is they probably need ten to fifteen percent more, because that's what they can comfortably serve the folks that they're serving. If they did 20 to 30% more, they might stretch those resources and things like that. How do you coach those folks to find what real success looks like for them? Uh, I, I don't teach any of that. What I teach is do your best. All that you can do uh, with family uh, and, and your God, mine is Jesus, but uh, family Mine and your too. God first. <laughs> yeah. I just thought I'd get in a plug. Amen. There you <laughs> or, go. Yeah. I know you are. Yeah. Uh, the uh, You do your best. Let me tell you two quick things. Jim Newman used to own, he's gone now, 
own PACE seminars, and he's the gentleman who coined the term comfort zone. Uh, and uh, I was talking to him one day about it, and uh, I said that, you know, it's so it caught on and it's so catchy and everything, but I'm getting tired of hearing, and this is years ago, I'm really tired of it now. I said, I'm getting tired of hearing about comfort zone every few minutes. He said, you know what drives me crazy about it? Everybody took it as a negative, get out of your comfort zone, be out, you know, and so on. He said, I didn't mean that at all. He said, be aware that there are comfort zones. And if you're happy with yours, fine, settle in. Uh, I, I was raised in a family that had a little money and we were right out the two blocks out the front gate of Eastlake Country Club, Bobby Jones home course. That was my comfort zone. I didn't do anything to earn it, but that was my comfort zone. And if life had gone on like that, you and I probably wouldn't have been talking because I didn't have any new goals to set. I was a happy camper. Mm -hmm. Get up in the morning, go play tennis, go, go play golf, work for my father in a relatively secure job, someday inherit the company and so on. I was moving along. And then dad and I had a serious talk and he explained to me that he didn't own the whole company. He had partners. And he said, Ben, they don't like you. So if I die, you're out of here. You know, you don't want to be a minority shareholder in a private company. <laughs> That's called nothing. So I had to adjust my comfort zone. I got real serious and rather quickly was up and running in a different area. But comfort zones are good if you're in a good comfort zone. Uh, as far as you were talking about percentages, that type of thing drives me crazy. Do the best you can every day. And that leads me to story number two. My dad, as I told you, was a food broker. Mm -hmm. And one day we're in New York at the National Food Brokers Association, where you go from sweet to sweet to sweet, where the, you know, Hunt's ketchup or Hunt's is in this room and Angostura Whopperman, the bitters people are in this room and, and so on. And they try and nudge you to do more, but also to thank you for the your hard work and uh, wine you and dine you and so on. So we're in one of them. <clears throat> I think it was Angostura Wepperman, but I'm not sure. One of his smaller clients. And they said, I'm sitting there because I'm just I'm about the age you were when you got in the business, you know, mm -hmm. 22, 23, whatever. So I'm just sitting there trying not to say anything particularly stupid. And uh, they said, Mr. Gay, we have good news. Next year, if you do this amount of business, I don't, you know, two Carlos, whatever it was, extra, uh, we're going to give you, and they uh, pointed over in the corner, uh, there was a television console there. You're younger. People won't know what it was, but it was a cabinet, and it had a record player in one end. And uh, we had building. one in my house. Yeah, yes, sure. Everybody did. Yes. And, and a color, te color television. Uh, if you do so-and-so, you can, we'll send this to you. And he said, I'm really, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was, I'm really sorry that our relationship has been based upon a misconception. You can take that television and put it where the sun doesn't shine. I sell all of your product every day, five days a week that I can possibly sell. I'm not holding back to get a television set. Uh, all I can every day. 
So if you need somebody who needs a television set, fire me and hire them. And if you need 10% more sales above and beyond what I was going to do anyway, fire me and hire somebody else. I'm not your guy. But I really appreciate your encouragement. Until I receive word that I don't represent you anymore, I'm still going to sell all I can every day, five days a week. Thank you very much. And he stood up, started shaking hands, and we were heading for the door. And I thought, whoa, I, I didn't really want to see my fire, father fired in front of me. You know, just the humiliation of watching your hero be shot down. Yeah. So we left and, and I said, as we got in the hallway, I said, dad, wow. Uh, he said, wow, what? And, and I said, well, you know, that may have cost you the account. And I've never heard you talk to a client that way. And he said, well, I don't have to talk to most of them that way. They know me better. Uh, but he, he said, I suspect they'll cool off if, if they were upset to start with. We're at the convention of another three or four days. Uh, we get home and I wasn't living at home anymore, but I heard that within a day or two, there was a great big box on the front steps and his television color console record player combo had arrived. And he hadn't even called on a client yet since that meeting. Uh, and that taught me a tremendous amount about do your best every day. And if that's not enough and you need 10% more, I promise you I wouldn't hold him back. If you need 10% more or else, I'm not your guy. Yeah. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I used to do a little cheating thing uh, because I wanted to do the best I could every day. When I was a manufacturer's rep after I left my dad's company, was traveling the southeastern United States selling a wide variety of things. It was sort of like food brokerage without the food. Uh, the, I had the, my little trick was to get up every morning earlier than I probably normally would to be standing at the front door of an FW Woolworth, your listeners won't know what I'm talking about, or a WT Grant or an H&L Green. These were five and dime stores 
sort of yesterday's version of the dollar store mm-hmm. and go in. We sold contact stick on shelf paper and it, by the by the yard. We sold it by the roll. They resold it by the yard. And if you wonder what that is, go to your wife's cabinet. She already has it in there. Well, correct me if I'm Ben, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But back in those days of selling, you could directly have a relationship with that store manager, right? It was it was it was really it was really person to person selling at that time because it was very similar to the food brokerage. We, we were in the food service yeah. part of that business to where um, you could go directly to, there wasn't a lot of centralized purchasing at that time. It was starting mm-hmm. to come into play um, with schools and things like that and hospitals, you know, but back in when I got in the business, it was really person to person selling. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, I think people need to understand the times that that back then seemed quote unquote simpler. It's like everybody says, "Oh, well, those were simpler times back then." I, I <laughs> These believe, are simpler times. Well, here's here's where I'm going with yeah. this. I believe that we've complicated selling. Because now we've got all these processes, and we've got and and there's nothing wrong with technology. But we've gotten away from the people side of selling, and and that's why I kind of that's why I started to write my book, People Buy from People, which was what my dad told me twenty seven mm-hmm. years ago when I got into sales. He said, "Never forget, son, people buy from people," and I thought it was a selling book. What my dad was talking to me about was connecting. When you think back to those days that you were that you were getting up earlier to be the first one at the HT at at, at uh, F.W. Woolworth, H.L. Green. We had an H.L. Green store in, in Huntington where I grew up. And you, and you think about those times. What did you learn the most about those times of being first and being there before your competitors were there? What did you really learn that, that carried with you, has carried with you through all those years? Well, relationship building was a big part of it. I knew my people. And they knew, you know, I go into a store in 500 miles from my house. And if I'd been there once before, I'd hear from the back of the store, hey, Ben, how are you? You know, welcome and so on. So so I, I worked on the relationships first. But the point of that was not to be first in the store. That helped. It was to get those early calls out of the way so I could call on the tougher ones. And my little secret, Brian, was... I knew that we had certain items. They didn't have to buy them. They didn't have to have the rack of con- four-sided rack of contact paper up uh, with 15 or 20 patterns on each one. Uh, they didn't have to keep it stocked. They could have thrown me out of the store. And there were people who were sort of jerks that were a little tougher than others. But by and large, I took the inventory, figured out what they needed, wrote up the order and took it to them. And because he trusted me or trusted the company, Con Hall Marks was who made contact uh, stick on paper, uh, he'd sign it. So what I enjoyed doing was I now had a signed order or two or three in my pocket, in my suit coat pocket, before I made my first call. 
my first could go either way call. Right. And and it was a confidence builder for me. It was, well, didn't you know it was a lay down sale? Yeah. But I had orders, signed orders in my uh, suit coat pocket before I made the first call. And it did wonders for me. And then you're back to building relationships. People do buy from people. They buy from people. You and I are buddies. Uh, if somebody asked me who's Brian Section, he's a good friend of mine. Yes. We've never met physically. Uh, and we've only, this is our second show together and probably our third or fourth conversation together. But we're buddies because you're very good at working people and I'm very good at working people and we're both sincere and we both sense that. Yes. So if I, if I was suddenly going to try and sell you something, we'd be down to the value of the product, not whether I could be trusted or not, or the, the value of the product to you. So we got all that other stuff out of the way because when a salesman approaches, when a typical salesman approaches a typical prospect, the war begins because the salesperson is presumed to be a liar, cheat, and thief. I do a lot of work in the automobile business. And people say, you know, people don't trust us. Why? And I said, well, uh, it's, I'm not going to blame it on you because you haven't been around long enough to affect the reputation of the automobile industry. But your father and grandfather's gen generation destroyed it. It's yeah. a joke. When you call somebody a used car salesman, you might as well be using four-letter words. It's the worst it. thing you can call a salesperson, in yeah, my opinion. Absolutely. You act it's, like a used car salesperson. Well, somebody's yeah, because, got to sell used cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben, the, the, the thing about it is, is that there were, there were a lot of unscrupulous tactics used. There were a lot of... There were a lot of things that were done that were not above board. And I love what you said about relationship there and, and, and connect. I said this in my book, people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. And, and it's, it's true when you go to, to shop and, and, and I'll, and here's an example I'll use. I was trying to find some lunch in this little, this little town in Connecticut before I was, I was heading back to where I am. And I, I thought, I, you know, I'd really like to have some pizza, but that's going to be hard to eat navigating New York traffic and things like that. And so I went to, and not, not trying to plug them, but I went to Five Guys and, and got a burger and some French fries. I had had enough Five Guys previously. I knew their food was going to be good. I knew the French fries were going to be hot and fresh. I, I, I had a connection with them and I said, okay, well, they're right here. I'm going to go ahead and spend some money with them today. And so again, it was the kit, but it, had I never, had I never tried their product, I might say, okay, well, I'm hungry. I'll give it a shot. And I think that's what a lot of folks do with salespeople. Sometimes it's like, well, I need this product. I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. I'm not real convinced that you're the person or that this company is right for me, but I'm in a situation where I need to get something. I need, I need to have something and, and you're here and you can satisfy this. It, what you said was so important, but I think what you were talking about too, and I want to go here for just a minute. A lot of times entrepreneurs want to count the pennies that they want to count the revenue that they have instead of focusing on the revenue that they don't have. 
And a lot of times salespeople will go, well, I've got this customer. I've got that customer. We used to do it all the time in the food business. I've got, you know, this customer buys 3000 a week from me. They buy, you know, three, you know, they buy, you know, a thousand from my competitor. They were looking at what they had instead of saying, how do I get all this business? How do I, how do I go forward and get the rest of this business? Why do we, why do we fall into that fallacy? of thinking about what we have over what we'd like to have or what we don't have. I hope I've asked that question correctly, Ben. I want to get your thoughts around that. I'm with you, The but it goes back to the same thing we were talking about earlier. Do the best you can. You know, 85% of all the problems in selling go away when you sell a quality product or service that's competitively priced, doesn't have to be the cheapest, and you spend your days talking, communicating, texting, whatever, <laughs> with qualified prospects and qualified customers. And then you, you, decide, you design your business around your family. And so you decide what time you're going to do that. I would vouch for the earlier in the day approach. And when you're going to uh, stop doing it every day. And within that boundary, you set up a system. You train people how to treat you. Uh, you understand. Ooh, that they, I like that. I like that. Oh, yeah. Would you That's repeat that, crucial. please? You have to train people how to treat you. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. Gigi, my wife, is the kindest, sweetest person you've ever met. And it was one of the reasons I fell in love with her. But it's her, it's her greatest strength, her sensitivity. It's also her greatest weakness. She has, they're getting fewer, but she had friends that would jerk her around. They, they think nothing of calling her and asking her to pick them up at their house at 4.30 in the morning so they don't have to call Uber to take them to the hospital, to sit in the waiting room, you know, type of thing, because Gigi will do that type of thing. And one of the hardest words in the English language, especially for people like Gigi, is no. It's spelled N-O. It's a complete <laughs> sentence. Yes. It, it certainly is. And, and Ben, you're reminding me, you're reminding me of, of having to learn that lesson the hard way. There's a great book. Yep. Yeah, we're... For, forgive me, folks, the, 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 our connection got a little unstable. But, Ben, you're reminding me. You're reminding me of a story. I, I love what you said you were talking about your wife, Gigi. You're reminding me of a story early in my sales career. I had just taken this territory. It was a mature, probably one of the most mature territories in the company. And the vice president of sales that had hired me ran that territory 30 years before I did. And, and he, he said, I'm going to put you in this territory. And, and we had a, a gentleman in our company that had been in our company over 40 years. He was kind of the godfather. He had had this territory. The guy that was the national accounts rep, he had had this territory. My wow. vice president of sales had had this territory. <laughs> and so here I am. I'm, I'm all of 25, and they hire me to run this territory. So I, I'm thinking to myself, I need to let people know, hey, you, you can call me, you know, if you need anything, I'm here. And so I, I told that to a lady that ran this restaurant next to a hospital. 
And I said, Phyllis, you can call me anytime. You need anything, you can call me. Here's my home phone number. You can call me. Well, Ben, one night about 6 o'clock, she did. I was trying to enjoy a Friday evening with my wife. We were getting ready to, we would go home on the weekends about an hour away. We'd go back and see our families. She wanted to call me for about 25 minutes. She had nothing better to do to ask me why the price of a case of green beans had gone up 25 <laughs> cents. No. And so when we moved to another house, very few people had my home phone number. And it was that. And, and so I, I loved what you were talking about, your, your wife, Gigi, because it reminded me that I had to learn to say no. And for a young salesperson, that's a hard lesson because you say, well, if I say no, my competitors are going to say yes. Or if I say no, the, you know, if I don't do it this way, competitors are going to get more of the business. And, and here's what I had to learn, Ben. Maybe I needed to let my competitors have more of that business that I needed to say no to because maybe it wasn't good business. How, how hard is it for people that you've coached and things like that to learn what good business really is? And I hope I'm going in the right direction there. Yeah, it's a, it's a subtlety. Uh, so it is a, a nuance that's somewhat hard to teach but you need to get the competitive thing out of the way. Uh, that's not it. When I was head of a huge cosmetic company, we had 1,500 licensed cosmetic companies we competed with in the United States alone. And people that worked for me, because I was 25 when I became president, 23 when I became their I top I can't distributor. even imagine that. Can, can, yeah, I, can, me, I, can I Me ask either. <laughs> well, can I ask you something off of that? And forgive me for yeah. jumping in. Mm -hmm. 25 years old and you're, you're running this company, the president of this company. Were there ever days that you felt like that, that like, what am I doing here? Why, why am, because I, I look back to my own life at 25. I had just gotten married the year before. And I wish I could go back to 25-year-old and go, you have no clue about life, <laughs> about sales, about Ooh. anything. You, you are the dumbest guy on the planet because you think you know some things. You, you, you do not even have any idea what you don't even know yet. I, I've got, forgive me for jumping in there, Ben. How was that for you transitioning to a high-profile high pressure, everybody's looking to you and you're 25 years old. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, Ben. Uh, I suffered a little bit from, it didn't have a name at the time, but now they call it the imposter complex. I had this great big conference table that it, it, my office used to be the boardroom. So I just moved in a chair in the middle of the conference table, put down my desk, sat and said, this is my office. And I would sit at that great big thing, would seat about 12 people, not counting me. And directly across from where I sat was the door into my secretary's lobby area. And I can't tell you how many times I looked at, when Bill Patrick, the owner of the company came to visit me, he, would, he didn't need permission to come in, but he'd go and the door would open. So I, I can't tell you how many times I looked up at that door while facing a tough decision and thought, 
the door's going to open and Bill's going to say, I've been thinking about this. What in the world are you doing as president of the company? But what I learned to do was form, I didn't know the term as thoroughly then as I do now. I formed a mastermind group of older, wiser people. The head lawyer, the head uh, production guy, the head buyer, the head art guy, they were all older and smarter than I was in their little areas. And I learned the power of silence. I sat there and looked as wise as a 25 year old could look, said little or nothing, didn't try and dominate or outwit them, took notes. And when we got done, I was the decider, George Bush Jr. I know that's not his real name, but he used to say, I'm the decider. Uh, he was surrounded by people who in their little areas knew more than he did, but he took it all in and said, okay, we're gonna do this. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, it's a lot of times doubling back, it's not the no that's the problem, it's how you say no. Among our friends, people will ask me to do things knowing I'm going to say no because they love to hear it. It's almost become like a party game. Yeah. You know, at Christmas, we were at a friend's house and we, next door lives her daughter and the husband and two kids. And we're over there and this guy uh, has known me now a while, 10 years, I guess. And he said, Ben, uh, I hate to do this to you, but Santa Claus comes to our house every year and puts stuff on the porch. They didn't have a chimney or it's too small or something, I don't know. And my Santa bailed on me this year. Is there any, I've got the costume and everything. Is there any chance you could come over about eight o'clock, slip into the Santa thing, make some noise on the porch, let them see you out there, and then just go away? And I said, you, you want me to come over and be Santa? It's, yes. I said, apparently you haven't talked to your mother-in-law. Absolutely not. Not a remote chance. Not if your house was on fire. And I suspect you've been put up to this. And he started laughing. He said, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Uncle Ben if you'll be Santa Claus on Christmas Eve, a mile and a half from his house, uh, and, and see what happens, I guess, is what she said to him. That so reminds you gotta, me. Yeah. No, that, that just reminds me. Train people how to train, how to treat you, and that includes your mastermind group, yeah. casual acquaintances, everything. First, Real quick, I was sitting no, you're fine. in my office one day and Napoleon Hill came in. He, by that time, was my mentor and stayed at the house when he was there and camped out in my office. And out of nowhere, but maybe it's something he heard or saw at the house the night before. He said, Ben, how's the family situation compared with how busy you are? And I said, it's pretty good. I think I work on it. Maybe not as good as it should be. He said, well, how do you do it? And I said, well, I, I first comes business and then I jam family into the nooks and crannies. And he said, oh, we found the problem. And I'm thinking, I didn't know there was a problem. He said, what you do first is you get out the calendar I've taught you how to use. It sits right here off camera as we speak. I'm still using the system. He said, and we map out family on the calendar first. And then business fits into the nooks and crannies. 
And he said, trust me, it'll all fit. You know, it's like putting on a show, a, a play or whatever. It's not coming together. It's not coming together. But it always comes together. The curtain comes up. Everybody's in place and they go through the show. It may be a bad show, but it won't be because of the time preparation. He said, you can put on that show in seven days, six days, five days, four days, whatever. You can run the business in five, three, four, two, whatever number of days a week. Frame out first, establish the important things, family, personal time, and make everything else operate around that. And when you do that, Brian, learning how to say no becomes really crucial because people aren't used to hearing that you won't come over at Saturday afternoon and do a special little meeting for them or something. Um, now, if somebody says, are you available next Saturday? I'm just waiting for them to quit talking so I don't appear impolite, but the answer is already in my head, no. Uh, well, sa yeah. Saturday, Saturday and Sunday are family time, so I don't do that. Well, just for an hour or so, no. Family time, Saturday, Sunday, four or five long weekends, usually over at the ocean, uh, a year. I block those out as soon as my new calendar arrives every year, block them out, highlight them in yellow, and there's nothing you can say that will get me involved in business on one of those highlighted days or Saturday or Sunday or religious holidays. But everything else still fits. It's amazing. And once word gets out that you're a kind, decent person, comma, who will not be pushed around, they quit pushing. Yeah, that is so good. Well, and, and again, I've had to do that with with travel and, and people will say, well, you know, would, would you come do this or do that? And I said, listen, as much as I travel during the week, I don't want to travel on the weekends and I don't want to travel without my family. I don't want to, I, you know, oh, I'll take a guy's trip with us. Uh, no, I'm not interested. Well, you know, do, do, no, I'm not, I'm not interested. If I can't at least take my son, if I can't take my son, on a day trip to Cincinnati to see the Reds or something like that, yeah. then, then I'm not interested. I'm, I'm not interested in doing it overnight because again, you're so correct, Ben, we forget our families a lot of times because we say, Here, here's the thing I'll hear from, from younger guys like, well, you know, I'm working so hard so my family can have this or my family can have that or my family can have something else. And it's like, Okay, well, when you get to the point where you get all this stuff, your family is going to be a I heard Bruce Arians. He he was the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had just he just recently retired, resigned, whatever you want to call it, stepped away. But the first time he stepped away, he was the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, and he said, "I had been working as a football coach for." 40 plus years and I, I hadn't slowed down. He said, I realized my wife said to me one day, she said, it's, it's, I think his son's name is Jake or something. She said, Oh, it's Jake's birthday. And, and he said, well, how old is he going to be? And she said, it's a big one. He's going to turn 40. And, and in that moment he realized my, my oldest child is 40 years old and I've missed a lot of this this life with him yeah. i've missed so much and and that's the thing that i wanted to communicate today and haven't been on is to encourage 
salespeople, encourage entrepreneurs. And I love where you're taking us learning how to say no. Because Ben, it's so important. We always think that we have to climb the ladder. We always think we have to, to go here or go there. You've been around a, a ton of influencers of the day and, mm -hmm. and people that are legends of, of their time. Their, their work lives long, on long after they've been gone. But yet you've, you've brought us some important truth there. I want to segue real quick to your book, The Closers. Because I got to think that there is a lot of synergy between what you're talking about and what's in your book. Because I would... This book? Is yes, this what you mean? That, that <laughs> is exactly the book that I mean. I did that one day on a podcast. Somebody said, we, you know, your, your book, People Buy From People. I said, oh, you mean, you know, this this book. And, and the, the copy I have is, is with me. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Have you ever wanted to live a bucket list life? Or if you're a business owner, have you ever wanted to incentivize your team in unbelievable ways? I have got just the thing for you. You need to contact my friend, Brad Norwood with Dream It Pro Professional Events. Brad's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and I can tell you he has helped numerous companies achieve unbelievable things through experience travel. Experiences are what people want. They want to know how they can live incredible bucket list lives as well, too. And Brad can help you with both of those things. I can't give you any better encouragement than to give Brad and his team a call right now at 479-466-6907 or go to www.dreamitpro.com. And when you get there, click on events and you are going to see some unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And I promise you this, unlike plaques, awards, trophies, things like that, experiences, and trips like these don't burn up in a fire. Again, go to www.dreamitpro.com today. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. But I've got to think a lot of the principles that you've just talked about are, are rooted and grounded, and there's some synergy between that and your book. Talk a little bit about how the concept of the closers came about in, in that way. I, I hope I've transitioned well into, sure. into that, into talking about your book, The Closers. Well, first of all, and this goes to selling, I didn't write the first draft of The Closers, what we now call part one. We're adding on to the series. We're committed to I think closers part 10 now, five is at the printer, three are in distribution. Uh, I was running the call center industry that I had created, the 800 call center industry, and we were looking for ads that didn't have an 800 number in them, which was almost every ad on the planet. And then we would clip them out and I wrote a five letter series, I think it was, that went to the people, here's your ad, it would do 40% better if, da da da. And one day while reading my, my little reading assignment was the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I saw a little ad and it said something about closing. Mainly what I noticed was it didn't have an 800 number. 
So I took out my pen knife, did, you know, cut it, stuck it on the typing request and downstairs to word processing, it went. And, uh, but as I was throwing it in the out basket, I noticed, I thought, I think that says something about a book. And, uh, and it was, I think, $14.95 or something. So on a hunch, I wrote a check for $14.95, paper clipped it to the typing request and away it went. Brian, if, if the book had never shown up, if I was wrong and it wasn't a book, or if the book had never shown up, I never would have given another thought. I wasn't looking at the mailbox waiting for it to show up. Two or three late weeks later, it did. And it was horribly written, misspelling, bad grammar. And when I flipped through the pages, when I first got it, they shot all over my office. And... Uh, so I gathered them up, grumbling under my breath, and got ready to throw it in the trash can. But I'm in, I'm uh, Irish, Scottish. I'm Irish, actually, but Scottish is nearby. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to do it, so I put a rubber band around all the pages, threw it in my briefcase, and thought, well, next time I'm on a plane going somewhere, I'll read it. I did. I thought I had found the Dead Sea Scrolls. In spite of the bad grammar, poor sentence struck, everything about it was wrong. And about half the pages were printed upside down and they all came loose because of poor binding. I realized I had stumbled onto something. So when we landed at LaGuardia, I went to a pay phone. Those are for your younger people used to be a phone in a booth or on the wall, you put a dime in it. And uh, I called the number in the back of the book and I said, hi, I just got through reading the closers, a bit of exaggeration. I didn't read it all, but I read enough of it. And I said, well, Mr. Gay, how are you? I said, what? Uh, and I'm looking around, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have caller ID. We didn't, you know, and I thought that, I said, I didn't give you my name. How do you know who I am? And this guy said, well, we printed five, we got the rights to the book. We printed 500 copies. We ran one ad in the Wall Street Journal one day and we sold one book. So if you've read The Closers, your name is Ben Gay, and you're from Placerville, California. How can I help you? <laughs> I said, Son, one book? And he said, yeah. Uh, so we talked for a few minutes, and I agreed to buy. I said, how many more do you have? He said, like I said, we printed 500. We sold one. I don't have to go count. 499. I said, I'll take them. He said, in, in its current condition? I said, yeah. Uh, I'll tell people a funny story and give them a rubber band with every book and we'll hand it to them. They sold one, Brian. Uh, I got the rights to it and the rights to rewrite it, update it, make it look like something and so on. We sold 10 and a half million when I quit counting 25 years ago. So there's a little sales lesson. Same book, same message, same everything. I doubled the price or more, I forget, doubled the price and sold not one, but 10 and a half million plus. I don't know what it is now. Uh, so that's a sales thing. Then it, it hit with such impact, especially the revised version that people started ordering it by the hundreds, some of the big companies by the thousands plus individual word of mouth and everything. And I discovered a couple of little marketing secrets uh, the uh, every book that goes out goes out with a bookmark in it which tells you how to reach me and bookmarks rarely leave the book they came in mm -hmm. so it's always there 
front page of every book has my business card, peel off the back, sticky business card stuck in. So we made ourselves easy to reach. I haven't run a paid ad for the closers in 25 years. And we sell hundreds a day, sometimes more, but just hundreds a day, word of mouth, business cards stuck in the book. And I know young people say, oh, business cards are worthless. I make a lot of money by making, by being easy to reach and a bookmark. So then I wrote people, uh, the closures part one is sort of rough and tumble. It's uh, selling the way it really is at times, not the way we wish it was. Yeah. It's not even politically correct in some places. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yes. Well, but, selling uh, is not politically correct, Ben. If if you do it, true people people will tell. You, I, I've got to jump in here because it, it's if you sell the right way, you're connecting with people. And I've always said this. I've said the most fertile place where opportunity really lies is common ground. That's yep. the most fertile place where you find opportunities because when, when, when you, and I'll tell my wife this all the time. I say, listen, sweetheart, you've got to come to the fence. If her and my son are having a disagreement, I'll say, listen, you've got to come to the fence. You, you know, you guys have got to find common ground. And you did that with the book because you don't continue to build on that success unless folks have that connection and they go, there's something there for me. When you think about that, what is the one thing that you have found constant throughout the, from the, from the first time you got that book and you got the rights to it, to, to the various printings and reprintings and things like that? What's the one thing that's constant? And we've, I'll tell you, and we've carried it on to the closest part two and three, fives at the printer, fours about to go to the printer, et cetera. But the one thing I, and I'm co-authoring those with other people on their little area of expertise. Uh, the one thing I found is put the customer first or the, the theme of uh, the National Association of Professional Salespeople, of which I am the executive director and founder, uh, is some tertius, which comes right out of the closers part one. It, it's the punchline, for lack of a better word, of my God first, the other fellow second, I'm third. And so when I'm teaching selling and so on, you know, they people come to a a sales training class, it's like kids going to a karate class. The first night, all kids want to go to a karate class and learn how to kill somebody to be the, the bad guy on the playground, the one nobody That's will the mess truth. with. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, I've, I've put four kids through all the way to black belt. Yeah, my, my son and did taekwondo. That's that that is so that's that's yeah. really what I'm talking about is taekwondo. Yeah. yeah. And the guy who trained three of the four right here in town. Uh, said it's the biggest challenge he faces. They come through the door snarling. You know, I'm signed up now. I get the white uh, robe I've seen in the movies and, and then they're disappointed to find out they get a white belt so as not to clash with the white gi. And uh, he said they want to learn how to kill somebody. So what I have to teach them first is to learn how to avoid fighting at all. 
it's it, it's a it's a sport it's an exercise it's a this and that and if you're in a fight where we're really honest to god fighting not a competition but fighting then i didn't train you properly and in the closers uh, throughout the series i hammer to the, my co-authors and remind myself all the time this is about integrity and i am third I'm not the most important person in this transaction. That's God and you, the second fellow, the other fellow. And if you keep those squared away, selling is just so easy. People, I, I don't understand why it's so complicated. The best salesman I ever really personally worked with was my high school running buddy. I didn't know he was gonna be a salesman. My dad talked him into that. Uh, my first business partner and a killer closer. And I'd say, Jimmy, his name is Jimmy Rucker. Jimmy, how do you, we, we got to write this down. How do we, do, how do you do that? And he says, well, I don't know. He's a good old Southern boy. He said, I don't know. I just talk to people and share the same opportunity. I said, well, that's great, but we can't write a book around that or do a seminar. <laughs> well, if you read the closers part two, the best thing I've ever written is the last chapter in the closers part two. It's called sales infiltration. And you could put into that my two inspirations, Jimmy Rucker, greatest salesman I ever worked with, and Lena Villas, the Taekwondo teacher, who said, if they get in a real fight, I failed. That's a great story about him at, at a bar, one of our local kick-ass bars, you know, the type with the chicken wire in front of the stage so the band doesn't get hit the beer bottles. And uh, he's, uh, he was sitting in there one night, according to the legend, by himself on a bar stool and chairs are flying and everything's going on. Almost everyone's involved from what I heard, including some women. Notice I didn't say ladies, but some women were mm -hmm. involved in the fighting. Nothing touched Lynn. Nothing came near him. Nobody said anything to him. He was just sipping whatever he was sipping, observing it. And when I heard about it later, I said, what what happened? Lynn? How, how did you not get involved in any way, even accidentally. He said, well, I know that I know. And once I knew that I knew, they knew. Most people in the bar did not know him, but there was an aura about him uh, that you don't met. And he's not a big guy, uh, Asian, Polynesian, something three smaller than I am. And I'm not a big guy. And he's sitting there untouched because he knew that he knew that he knew. When I go into a sales situation, if I have, it, it, I quickly figure out whether I've matched the product or service to the person. Sometimes I, I didn't do it right. I'm talking to the wrong person. Mm -hmm. But if they're the right person, then I just calm myself because I know how it comes out. I know that I know that I know, and I've kept it simple. I don't complicate selling at all. Uh, and Jimmy Rucker and I were on a fishing trip one day and he hooked a pretty good sized fish. I don't, I'm not, you know, it's one of those touristy things we do. I don't know anything about fishing. You hire the captain, you hire the boat, the crew, he drives you around and he hopes you get something because he wants you to come back to the dock and tell all the people. Well, uh, Rucker got this hit and uh, strike, I guess you call it. And we're sitting in the two back chairs on the on the stern and people are screaming and yelling and the 
first mate's throwing down the gaff to get ready and somebody else has got the net out and so on. And I look at it, it was a total bedlam. I look over at Rucker and he's puffing on a cigar and occasionally taking a turn on the reel. And it was in total contrast, everything else going on. And I said, Rucker, are you okay? And he looked at me, he said, the fish doesn't know how this comes out, but I do. And that calms me. And that was his approach to selling. The prospect doesn't know how this comes out, but I do because I picked the right product or service for the right person. And I've sold me, in his case, Jimmy Rucker, in my case, Ben Gay, I've sold me. So all I have to do in a presentation is confirm I got my facts right and my feelings right, and then go for an extremely, here's my magic clothes, Brian. People think, you know, well, what if they say this? What if they say that? I said, they don't ever say that to me. I get all the, the bad stuff out of the way in the first five or 10 minutes before they even know what the product is or anything about it, as the case may be. Uh, I, I handle all that up front. So when we get down to the end, here's my magic clothes. But I've spent time setting it up, years with a reputation, uh, et cetera. And then that individual call. I say, Brian, based on what you've told me, here's what I suggest we do. Fill in the blank. Tell you what I think we ought to do. Fair enough. And 86%, sometimes there's a question or two, it smokes out something, you have to do something else. But my closing rate for 30 years, ever since I've been really keeping track of it, is 86%. 80, with that simple close I just shared with you, mm -hmm. I close 86%. I'm not talking about sending phones in and wants to buy a book and I happen to get the call. I'm talking about setting up a seminar, a coaching relationship, a coaching, coaching, consulting relationship, or some of the other things I do, property in Arizona or whatever. Uh, 86%. And you just heard the magic close. Now, You've got to learn how to get in position. So closing isn't the big problem in selling. It's opening and then maintaining. The close is just the logical conclusion to a professional presentation. That, that, that is it. That's it. hundred percent of the time. Because Ben, yeah. here, here's what happens. If I built that connection and I'm convinced that you're the you're the person that can help me and i'm convinced your product can help me and i can i'm convinced that i can take action today and i can i can comfortably afford it or i can now here's what i will say there are a lot of times and, and you, you you hit the nail on the head there are a lot of times and i and i've said this to salespeople. i've said there's a lot of times that your buyer's looking for a deal. That's the only reason they're coming to you is they're looking for a deal. And you've got to be smart enough to say, hey, you know, Mr. Customer, listen, a lot of folks that, that do business with us understand that we're not the, the, the least expensive out there. And there's a reason why, you know, quality costs something. Quality, to, to have a quality product we had to put time and effort and research and all these things and, and it costs money. 
you you have to be a person of integrity to say, listen, I, I don't know that you're the right customer for us because of all the things that we've done in this process to, to get to that point. And again, I love the way you said that, Ben. Based on what we've talked about, do you believe that this is right for you? And if it is, let's proceed forward. Fair enough. I, I love that. That because again, that that's not a hard question to ask. And it shouldn't be a hard question to answer. All the tough stuff I do up front. Let me in fact we were talking about train people how to treat you. Uh, I establish at the beginning of any sale that's worthy of devoting time to it. I'm not I don't do this for you know, a $15 food shopper, but if, if it's worthy of my time and so on, then I want to set the table, establish the rules. So Brian, we're going to be working together today. I'm a salesperson, so it won't surprise you that I would like to make a sale with you if it matches you and so on. But here's how I operate. I operate on a straight, straight basis. That means I'll be straight with you. You be straight with me. Fair enough. Uh, I will treat you, I promise to treat you fairly, squarely, decently, by the rules. Fair enough? Yes. And I expect you to do the same with me. Fair enough? Yes. So when we get down to the end and you've gotten all your questions and answered and so on, uh, I don't want to hear, and, and I, I know you won't because we've taken a pledge. I don't want to hear I need to pray about it. I got to talk to my brother-in-law in Cleveland uh, I never make decisions on the first day. So I take yeah. all those and bring them up front. So I'm not going to do that to you. I know you're not going to do that to me, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Good. Da -da 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 -da. Ask questions. Listen carefully. We get down to the end based on what we've discussed, Brian, or based on what you've told me. Here's what I suggest we do. Da -da 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 -da. Fair enough. And they go, yeah. You can't, when you've just taken a pledge not to say, I'll think it over. Uh, I, I've got to think it over or whatever. Uh, they rarely double back. And by then I've become such a buddy with them and a friend that if they do that, occasionally they'll do it. So I, I really want to think it over. Go, ah, Brian, Brian, we already agreed. I'll take a hard no. That's not a problem for me. But in this business, you can, you can starve to death on maybes. So I would much rather have a yes Secondly, I'll take a no. Maybe I won't deal with because you promised me you wouldn't do that anyway. Right. Price, real quick, price. You know, they're looking for a deal and so on. What's the difference? Because this is this over here and you, it's this and so on. What's the difference? I hand them my business card on which I have written my cell phone number on the back. I said, the difference is you get me and you get my personal cell phone number. And if you have a problem, you call me. You know, if I was selling cars, you can call AAA because you belong to it. I got that. But also call me because I'll get someone from our dealership there before the AAA truck because we, you, you get me. Now, try that with some other uh, dealership. As you and I both know, it doesn't exist. You well, we've me. taken the person out of selling today, Ben. And and, and again, yeah. I I, I want to just spend a couple more minutes. I want to be respectful of your time and, and the audience's time. But we have taken people 
out of selling. We, we have replaced people with, I can go to Amazon, I can go to eBay, I can go to this website, I can go to that website, and I can, I can do, well, I want the convenience of being able to take my time and things like that. We've removed people from the equation when in actuality, people make better decisions working with people that are honest, full of character, full of integrity, and have the customer's best interest at heart. You you get a much better you get a much better buying process working with someone than doing it over the internet. Because again, if it's just if we're just talking price, if 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 all it ever it, that that's just a cheap transaction. And, I, and I'll say this, and, and forgive me for, for saying this this way, if all we're looking for is a cheap transaction, then really all that salesperson is, is a common streetwalker. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because now we've just, we've just made it about a transaction and there's nothing there. There's no substance there. And I pray that we get back to a, a, an economy and a marketplace that values what people of integrity can bring to the buying process. Let me jump in there and give you an additional benefit for our yes. viewers and listeners. If you establish that relationship, nobody can get your clients. Nobody. There's no way to break through. That's 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 precisely the case. That's exactly the case. Because now you've built an impenetrable wall, and now people say, "Well, you know, I, this item, take it. Yeah, sure. it, uh, that's what's best for you." Or, uh, well, you, you've forgotten a couple of things we've discussed because this and this and this. Don't take it. So you become a counselor, not a salesperson. Yeah. P. Michael Hunt has been my close friend and financial advisor. He first he sold me insurance. 55 years ago, been my close friend, insurance guy, then financial advisor, up to, I talked to him yesterday afternoon, I think it was. Uh, there, he's made me millions of dollars, and I'm not the brightest person in the world. My job was to get the money in the house, and then he would show me what to do with it and, or, or do with it, and so on. So if you call me and you're a certified financial planner, there's in, with a tremendous track record, Brian, there is nothing you can say or do, nothing that would get me to drop P. Michael Hunt and go with you. It's almost unfair. I've told salespeople who have called me or consultants who have called me to say, I'm a sales trainer. The most valuable thing you have other than your reputation so on, is your time. So I want you to take your pen and cross my name off your prospect list. I've been with a guy for 55 years. My only concern with him is that he doesn't die. Yeah. And he's in good health. I, I always inquire about his health. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's, no, I, I'm just, there's nothing you can say. You can't go learn a tricky close or read even one of my books and call me back and get the business. You can't. So if you concentrate on that part of your business and your reputation and so on, you become bulletproof as long as you don't violate 
the trust. If you violate the trust, it's worse than if you didn't have any. <laughs> you become that's ex a that's exactly right. Well, and yeah. and you really want to become my number one goal. I wanted to be that salesperson that my customer said when my competitor came in and said, "Hey, why don't you buy that from me? I know you buy that from Brian, but why don't you buy that from me?" I always wanted to get to the place where my customer said, well, let me call Brian and make sure that this is a good business decision for me to do this. And then I'll <laughs> let you know that that was always the goal. Ben, you have shared sure. such tremendous wisdom and I hope we've encouraged some salespeople today. And, and again, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I wanted to go in a different direction with this second part. I think we've hit the right notes, and I so appreciate your time today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. My pleasure, and to your viewers and listeners, uh, you're in the greatest profession on earth. As Elmer Wheeler said, nothing happens till somebody sells something. One of my favorite quotes. You're, you're, I love that. You're, yeah, you're the linchpin in the whole economic structure of the world. But understand, it's not a hobby. It's a profession. And if you expect a brain surgeon to go to school for four years and then four years and then intern for two and 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 then call his business a practice, <laughs> I've always found that sort of amusing, yeah. uh, then why should you be able to step in, make more money than he or she does part time, uh, figuring you just get by on a handshake? This is a profession. It is a learned skill. It is. And if you learn it, the world just opens up. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And I and Ben again, I am so grateful that you shared your wisdom with us today. Thank you for joining us on the Intentional Encourager Podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.